All right, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Was it not good to see me this morning? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm really thankful to be here. Uh, and you know, I was just sitting over there reflecting. Um, it uh, one year ago, Palm Sunday last year. Um, it was. It was not like this in this room. And um, we come along. We've come a long way, haven't we? Um, and, uh, and man, I'm just glad wherever you are, if you're home, if you're in the room that you're here with us today. And I'm also, I'm just excited about, um, doing something new and something fresh. And, you know, that is part of what's happening next week at Easter, where we are doing Easter, not in the room, but outside, which is kind of risky, kind of fun. If nothing goes wrong, I'm going to be blown away, um, but, you know, I did have a conversation with the Lord this morning, and I've worked out the weather thing. That's why it's rainy today, um, just, so, just, so you guys, just so you guys know. I really hope um, that you will consider inviting somebody to Easter. Uh, I think it, it's been really hard for people to find how to get back, right, or how to um, go if they've wanted to. And I think we've lived through a time where a lot of people have experienced a need for um, just the hope that we have in Christ. And what better day to remember that than Easter. And so if God puts somebody on your heart, like a name jumps into your mind or a face right now, just telling you this is for them. Okay. All right. Uh, This is uh, the week of a new series that we're doing um, called Man on Fire. And uh, it's the Easter story, really, of St. Peter. But let me kind of talk about it like this. There's a quote I, I once heard that's, that's always stuck with me um, because I found it to be so true. And we don't know who said it, uh, but I, I love it. And, and here's, here's the quote. It says this, Light a man on fire for Christ, and people will come for miles just to watch him burn. Light a man on fire for Jesus, and people will come for miles just to watch him burn. And I just want to be clear, um, that is not a literal lighting of a man on fire. It's talking about what happens when the Holy Spirit's fire kind of gets into a person's life and does work. And what happens is it forms like this purpose and this passion, and, and there's this power that goes along with it. And it's incredible when you see it in the life of a man or the life of a woman, what, what God is able to do through them. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. You know that it is worth traveling for miles just, just to see this person passionate, burning for their Lord. And, uh, there's a, a lot of actually people that have come to mind that fit that description. But when I think about fire and a passionate personality, and I think about actually characters in scripture, there is one here that kind of rises to the top. Who's probably spoken before he's thought about what he said. It's St. Peter. It's Peter. He is such a passionate, fiery personality in the scripture. And um, he, he's a man who Jesus met, a fisherman named Simon, and he looked at him and said, you will be called Cephas, 
the rock, he later says, upon which I will build my church. And when you follow Peter through the New Testament after the resurrection, that's what Peter does. He emerges as the leader of the church, especially there in Jerusalem. And the man is teaching. He stands up after the Holy Spirit's fire comes at Pentecost and he preaches. He tells the story of Jesus and 3,000 people are saved. He writes letters in the New Testament. He works the church through transitions from moving from Gentiles to from Jews to Gentiles. He's, he's wise. He's centered. He is, he's just, he's a vessel for multiplied miracles in the New Testament. He's, he's a hero of our faith. I love Peter. I love Peter. But I think what I also love about Peter and what many of you know about Peter is the man didn't begin that way. Not at all. Um, this was a very flawed and um, regularly failing follower of Christ throughout the Gospels. And, uh, and he's, he's called the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. But what we see is really just the man's a pile of loose gravel in the beginning. It takes him time to kind of come together and be formed. And, and it's just this incredible contrast in his lives of of spiritual moments of brilliance, like Matthew 14, for instance, which is a moment where, where Peter literally miraculously walks on the water towards Jesus because of his faith. It's incredible, right? But then two chapters later in the book of Matthew, uh, he, he says something to Jesus he doesn't understand, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus calls him Satan, and one verse, he's walking on water. And the next verse, Jesus calls him Satan. And that's crazy. He's, he's a roller coaster. Um, but, but what happens is that he is kind of refined. And he, his, his weaknesses become God's strength. And, uh, and man, he, he, becomes, he becomes the man on fire. And what I, what I want to do these next three weeks is really... Look at the time in his life where I think that final major work was done in him, where he became the man that we know in Acts. And it's, it, it actually happens around uh, these three weeks, uh, the pivot around Easter. What, what we're going to do is we're going to begin this week at the Last Supper, at the beginning of Holy Week, and look at an interaction that he has with Jesus. Um, he goes from there to Good Friday talk about that at our Good Friday service. But next Sunday, Peter has a very unique experience of Easter, which I'll explain when we're outside, not getting rained on at all. And then the last week, uh, there's this incredible moment where Jesus kind of speaks into his failure and he forgives him. And it's actually one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. He says to this man, that he still wants him to feed a sheep and and it makes the man and here's what i want to say if we are here and you guys just kind of hear peter's story and listen and at the end of three weeks you're like ah oh, that was a good story i love peter that's great but that's not what i'm aiming for here what i want is for you to see peter's story and i want you to see your life in it and I want for you to learn some of the lessons that he learned because I think we all need to learn them. And I want you to be open to God doing the work that he did in that man's life. 
and yours as well. You ready for that? Uh, if you're not, I'm going to bother you. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for today and the opportunity that we have to just quiet our hearts and, and quiet our minds and come before you and say, Lord, speak. Lord, you took this hero of our faith and you made, you, you made yourself glorified out of his weakness. You took his weakness and you showed us your strength. You are the one who makes us who you call us to be. And I just pray by your grace this morning that as we, <laughs> with trepidation, kind of step into his story, opening up ours, Lord, that you'd, you'd be gracious to us. But Lord, you would put us in a little bit of your refining fire as well so we could be who you've called us to be. May the words of my mouth and every meditation of every heart Lord, we offer them to you right now that they would be pleasing in your sight. You alone, Jesus, are our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, the passage we're going to focus on this morning comes from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. If you've got a Bible, awesome. Uh, I'd encourage you to read it. If you have one on your phone, awesome. Just don't get distracted, right? And uh, I'm going to read uh, here starting in verse 31 to 38, and we're going to kind of work through it as we go into it. Let me go ahead and, and read. <clears throat> when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter, Peter asked him, Lord, where are you, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. All right, let's just set a context. Let me give you some background. John 13, we are at the beginning of Holy Week. And this is what is called the Last Supper, the last time Jesus had with his disciples uh, to eat with them. They're celebrating uh, in this what is the most important week in the Jewish calendar, uh, 
the most important day to remember the Passover when God freed God's people from Israel, from, from slavery in Egypt. And so they're, they're having this meal together. They're celebrating, they're eating. It's begun. Jesus is teaching them in the middle of it. And a very important thing has just happened when we get to verse 31. It says, when he was gone, when he was gone, that is a reference to Judas leaving. Judas, the disciple who will betray Jesus, has just left the room. And now it, 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 it's almost like there's this timer that's been set. It's like um, they push the button and there's no turning back. All the events uh, leading up to Jesus' death are put into motion and what it, what it appears is happening is now that Jesus has seen Judas go, go is he, he's, he's focusing into the last things he wants to say to his disciples. And most specifically, that he's about to leave. Now that he's gone, now that Judas has left, I need to tell you um, what's about to come, right? And, uh, and this first bit of the passage is, is a little bit confusing, right? Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him, right? There, there's, there's some different things happening in tense, present, future going, going on in that first bit. But, but really what Jesus is driving at is, is he's now saying, okay, it's about to happen. And he's pointing to the cross. He's saying, now I am about to be glorified. And God is going to be glorified in me. I'm going to the cross, implying I'm dying. I'm about to go die an atoning death for the sins of humanity. And God's doing this, and God will be glorified in this act that's about to happen. Right? So he's saying that. He's letting them know that this is about to happen. And then he's, he's bringing it right in front of their face. And he's saying, look, what that means is I'm leaving. My children, he says, my disciples, I'm going to only be with you just a little bit longer. And where I am going, none of you are going to be able to come. The, pro the, the disciples, I, I want to be clear, they don't really fully understand what Jesus is saying here. We have the privilege of knowing the whole story, right? But the disciples didn't know what was about to come when Jesus said he's about to be glorified and God's going to be glorified in him, I bet some are like, oh, yeah, he's talking all big again, right? Like they, they tried to understand it, but, but, but the part that, they, that they're really um, going to focus in on here is the part that's tangible, that he's leaving. That this is going to be a really hard thing for them to hear. Because cause think about this. These disciples had given up their life to follow Jesus. He was their hero. He was their hope. They had spent basically every waking moment with him for the last three years. And now he's saying, it's over. This is coming to an end. What we've had is no longer what we're going to have. This chapter is about to close. And this is what the disciples are are catching. This is what they're focusing on because who wants to hear that somebody they love is leaving? That's hard. Have you guys ever had to face that reality when somebody that you dearly loved was leaving? I was thinking back here to um, when my best friend moved when I was a kid. And uh, I think Justin was maybe 13. I was 11. 
And that is the only picture that we could find. And I just want to say we're awesome. We look so awesome <laughs> in, in that picture, right? Uh, uh, but man, Justin, Justin was like a like a, a brother to me. We spent copious amounts of time together every day playing eight-foot dunk basketball, right? I'm just going to tell it how it is, listening to Puff Daddy and Notorious P.I.G. behind his parents' back, right? Sorry, Mom, if you didn't know. And then, uh, like, ruling the roost of our neighborhood on our bikes, like, eight hours a day, sleeping over. Man, it, it was a beautiful friendship. And then one day, uh, he came and he said, he was crying, and he said, my dad got a new job and we're moving to Wisconsin, it's like, why would you ever move to Wisconsin, right? <laughs> but it was, it was crushing for me. And um, I, I had lived probably a pretty privileged life at that point because I think it was the hardest thing that I'd ever had to face at 11 years old. And um, I remember that day, like I never paid attention to the calendar. I knew when the day was and I looked at it with dread. And when it finally came, I remember just crying my eyes out this morning, not being able to say a word to anybody. And then I can still see that boxy gray Dodge Caravan, right? I bet some of you guys drove those or your parents did, riding off into the distance and my friend going away with it. And it was just so, so hard. Man, I miss you, Justin, right? <laughs> and uh, and I, what I want to say is like that is the kind of place that the disciples are at at the Last Supper. This is what they're feeling. This Again, this is their hero and their hope. They've left their lives to follow Jesus. And, and he's talking about this big thing, the cross. They don't care about that. All they're worried about is that they're going to lose him. And everything that they've had and understood is about, is about to change. And, and their, their, their hearts are hurting and they're probably wondering, can we, can we stop this? Can, we, can this not be the reality? And this is where our bud Peter speaks up and steps in. Verse 36, here's what he says. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? Right, I, I want to point out a couple things about this verse. Firstly, I want you to notice that it is three verses after Jesus has actually told them that he's leaving. And there's an entirely different thought that's in the middle of this. Okay, So Jesus says in verse 33, My children, I'll only be with you a little longer. And you can't, you can't come where I'm going. And then he says this, this is very important to Jesus, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love each other. And that's how people are going to know you're my disciples in the world. This is important. I'm about to leave. Get this. Will you listen? Is Peter listening? No, right? <laughs> this man is caught on verse 33. And, and he's, he's sitting there probably thinking in his head, what Jesus, I, he's not going away. I don't want him. Where is he going to go that I can't go? Right? Like, if Jesus, are you going to another city? Let's, I'll just meet you there. Right? <laughs> like, Jesus, are you, um, do you need some rest? Like, we'll see you in a month, man. Take a break. Right? Like, but he's, there's, in his mind, he's thinking like a physical, a physical location. 
And so he's, he's not willing to accept this reality, and he's not willing to let go of Jesus. You know, um, uh, I looked this up for you Enneagram people. Uh, Peter has been described as a six, which I love the blank stares because that's what I have too. But he's a loyalist. Like when they look at his personality, he probably is just deeply committed to everything that he does. And he's fiercely loyal. And that's basically all I care about when it comes to the Enneagram and Peter. But, um, but, but that's what we, what we see here right? He, he's unwilling to kind of let go and accept this reality. And, and so when he says, Lord, where are you going? And Peter and Jesus again responds to him and says, I am going somewhere. You can't, you can't follow me, right? You will later. It's a reference actually to the way Peter's going to die, but you can't follow me. What has Peter said? Again, he's unwilling to accept it. And, and he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? And then he raises the bar. He says, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. Where, where can you go that I can't go? I'm willing to die for you. That's a, that's a strong statement, isn't it? And I want to be clear. I don't think Peter has any clue, like the reality of what he has just said here. It reminds me of a conversation one of my friends was telling me about that he had with his four-year-old daughter and um, just uh, a person not understanding what they were asking or saying they would do. So they were ready to go uh, somewhere and she sat down in the driver's seat. She put her hands on the steering wheel and she said, Daddy, Daddy, I want to drive. I'm going to drive. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, that's nice. You know, um, you can't drive, right? And she said, no, right? I'm driving daddy, right? I can do this. And, uh, and what do you do with, uh, with a four-year-old that, uh, that thinks that they can drive, right? Firstly, you deeply enjoy that moment because it's hilarious and so cute, right? But secondly, um, what I have tried to do with my kids in those moments when I'm at my best parenting and I don't decide just to forcefully remove them immediately, uh, what I do is I try to explain why they cannot drive, right? You give an explanation. This is why you cannot drive. You do not have a license. You cannot see over the steering wheel. Your feet do not touch the pedals. You cannot drive, right? But do explanations, um, do explanations always work? No, right? And uh, sometimes uh, with stubborn, ignorant, tyrannical children, they don't work. <laughs> and sometimes with stubborn, ignorant adults, explanations don't work either. And you have to use more force. And when you look at the way Jesus responds to Peter, this is kind of what I see him doing. He uses more force to help Peter understand and explain. And, and he says, Peter, um, you're really ready to die for me? He calls him out on his self-deceit. Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It's tough enough when like your spouse calls you out on your crap, right? But could you imagine Jesus in that moment to Peter in front of all the other disciples? Golly, um, 
I think this is extremely hard. And uh, this is one of these examples where God speaks the truth to people in love. And what we're going to actually see over the next kind of couple weeks is Jesus is regularly hard with Peter because he needs to be because Peter got cotton balls in his ears, right? He doesn't, he doesn't listen. But um, what I think we've got to see is, is in those moments where Peter's life gives us a window into our own. And here's the thing that I see happening in this little interaction that I think I see happening in my life at times too. I bet you do yours. Here's, here's the takeaway. What we think we are willing to do for Jesus is one thing. What we are actually willing to do for Jesus is usually another. <laughs> I appreciate the amen there because nobody wants to say amen to that, <laughs> right? Um, but it's true, isn't it? We got one picture of our faith in our minds, but oftentimes the reality of how our faith is lived out is, is another, right? I don't know why I was thinking in these categories, but Harry Potter... We think our faith is Gryffindor, but oftentimes it's Hufflepuff, right? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, when I was a student at the University of Illinois, um, I kind of had this realization hit me across the face. I was doing a, a Bible study with a group of friends, and we were reading this book called Heavenly Man, which is unbelievable. It's about this guy named Brother Yan who uh, grows up in this village in, like, remote China, and just, I don't understand, but out of nowhere, God kind of like just picks him out and has a purpose for his life. And literally, as he tells the story of his life, it is like reading the book of Acts. The man is a Chinese Peter in the 21st century in the underground Chinese church, and he sees miracles. He does incredible teaching. But what we also see there in his life, just like in Acts, is that he faces tremendous persecution. He suffers. He's imprisoned. He's almost put to death. And, um, and I remember reading this story with these guys, just kind of jaws to the ground, all of us inspired and blown away, so excited to hear stories of actual miracles happening today. And somehow we got to this point in the conversation where, uh, I, don't, I don't know how we got there, uh, but we were like thinking about whether or not we'd be willing to do what Brother Young did for our faith. Like if we got put in a situation where it was experienced tremendous suffering and persecution, would we renounce our faith? Right? And a group of us got talking and some of us thought about it and I thought about it in my own head and then I said this thing out loud like an idiot. I said, I think I'd be willing to die for Jesus too. I think in the right situation, I think I could do that. Maybe I wasn't an idiot, but I was ignorant. Because later that week, um, uh, I had an interesting opportunity where I had actually been praying for God to give me an opportunity to share the gospel with one of the guys in my dorm and, um, and invite him to, to church. And uh, I was in a common space with him and a group of other guys, and these other guys just left, and it was me and him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he started talking about spiritual things and how he was going through some stuff in his life. And it was like God knew what I had prayed, and he was answering it, and he had a softball, and he was like, here you go, David, right? And so I'm there. I'd prayed for it, right, asking for it. And I'll tell you what I did is I watched, and that softball went right by, and I didn't even swing. 
I didn't say anything to him. And um, I remember just feeling some guilt about that um, afterwards, but like going to God in prayer with it. And uh, I, I, the, the realization that I had as I remembered this conversation about a heavenly man is that I thought my faith was one thing and the reality of it was another. I thought I was willing to die for Jesus and I, in that moment, wasn't even willing to try for Jesus. And it was, it was just a tough realization to see my face in the mirror like that. But I think the reason the Lord did it is so he could give me a taste of reality and he could break my spiritual pride, which is what I see happening with Peter here in this passage in Jesus. I think he's breaking Peter's spiritual pride and I think it actually leans into a pattern that is present in, in the New Testament, in the Bible, uh, and a pattern that I've experienced in my life. And I would offer the thought to you like this. God will break you before God will make you. God will break you before God will make you. He'll break you down. He'll let you hit the rock bottom before he offers you a way back up. He will let you experience all of the heartache and failure and pain that you need to experience to open your ears and let the Lord kind of offer you a ladder that's going to build you back up in his grace and his power and his purpose. And he's got to do that in our lives so that we get to a place where, where we are standing on solid ground and not the shaky sand of our own prides. And, um, and, and this is just how it works. I don't know what else to tell you. I think this is how it works for everyone. God will break us before he will make us. And, and just to go back to my own experience in this little tiny piece, you know what had to happen for me to be able to share my faith with my roommate and actually hundreds of people since? I had to let go of my pride. I did not care what people thought about me anymore. That's how I got okay with evangelism. I had to know that there's probably going to be an awkward moment here. I had to know that they may associate me with those people. I had to be okay with the possibility that um, just this might not go the way that I'm hoping, right? But when the Spirit put it on my heart, what I had to know is that uh, I want them to know Jesus and to be saved more than I want them to like me. And that was, that was how the Lord just kind of helped me see and build, put my feet on, on a solider rock, um, on a more so, solid, whatever grammar I can't, whatever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think God breaks us in order to make us. Uh, and I, I think everybody experiences this. And I, I think that it's one of these things where we let him and when we let the situations that happen in our lives kind of be this opportunity to mold us, we start to see God's hand and work in, in, in ways that are truly good. There's this poem I heard years ago and it's, it's uh, also anonymous, but I, I'm telling you, I read this thing and I can tell this is a person who understands the way God, God oftentimes molds his people like Peter, like you and me. This is what it says. It's called when God wants to drill a man. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, 
when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch God's methods. Watch God's ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. And while the man's tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, he'll bend but never break when God's good he undertakes. And how he uses, how God uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try God's splendor out. Our Lord knows what he's about. And he's about making men and women to put forth his power and purpose and mission in the world. And, and I just, I want you to see this in Peter's life because um, this isn't just a point that I'm making uh, that rhymes. This is, this is a reality. And, uh, and, and the thing that I want you to see is when Jesus has this interaction with Peter, he doesn't just let him fail. He magnifies the failure. Jesus makes a point of this failure, right? Um, look at that passage. Watch this. Note that when, when Jesus calls out Peter on his stuff, he didn't have to, right? When, when Peter says, I will, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus could have said nothing. That was a, a, a totally good option. Peter said, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus said, okay, you know, under his breath, he went, wait till the third rooster crow, right? It's like Jesus probably doesn't do that, right? But um, we do. So let's just be honest about that. Um, and uh, and when, he, when, when Jesus does this, he, he's, he's making sure that Peter is going to see what's about to happen. Right. And, and I'll be honest, when I when I kind of thought about this, I was like, I don't know that I like what Jesus does here. I'd have rather been kinder. Right. Don't, does anybody feel like if it was you in that situation, you may not have said anything. Right. Uh, I like when I watch my kids, um, when one of them messes up and then all the other ones are like, you should have. Why did you drop that dish on the ground and make dad or mom angry? Right. Like kids are so good at this, right? What do you tell? What do you tell your kids? Don't like. What value is that? They know they messed up, right? But, but, I, I just I'm just pointing this out. Jesus makes it a point to let Peter know in an unmistakable way that he's that he's fall, that he's failed. Okay, and and it reminds me that oftentimes our ways are not God's ways, and sometimes. God's ways are better, and they, they help us to see and hear what we need to hear. And Hebrews 12 uh, is the verse that comes to mind that says this, Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Why does, why does God do this? Because he loves Peter. Because he's got a plan and a purpose for Peter's life. And, and he had to do it to build him back up in the way that he needed to. And so he magnifies the failure. He magnifies the failure. You, did not, you, you think you're going to die for me three times. The rooster's going to crow in the middle of the night. Roosters don't crow in the middle of the night. And you're not going to miss it. And it's what happens in the Gospels. That's what we see. And then in Luke's Gospel, 
there's this moment where Peter hears that rooster crow and he sees the face of Jesus and this is what it says. He went outside and wept bitterly. He left that courtyard and he wept bitterly. And y'all, it is so, so hard. This is so hard. But I just, I got to say this. How powerful is the moment when that life has fallen apart? How much potential is there in our pain? We, we see it one way. God looks at that pain and that falling apart and sees an opportunity to mold us and, and to make us into the people he's calling us to be for his power and purposes in the world. And um, I, I just, again, I don't want you to lose sight of this. God breaks us because God wants to make us. God breaks us because he wants to make us. God's for you. He's for your good. And, and what, here's, here's my challenge to you for this morning. I, I, think, I think when we go through tough things or when we fail or when we find out we are not who we want to be, we, we, we have a couple options, right? We can feel guilt and shame and kind of avoid it and push it to the side, right? Until one day it happens again. Um, we, can, <clears throat> we, can, we can also deny that it actually happened, also pushing it to the side until it happens again. But we, what, what I think we need to do instead of gritting our teeth and clenching our fists is, is say to God, okay, what, how, how can you use this to make me who you want me to be? Right? What, what is the thing that you're trying to do in my life? When we're faced with failure, what we really need to face is the possibility that, that God can actually use this for good and he can remake us and change us. And that's what we see in Peter's life. You all think about this. Who better to carry the message of grace than the man who knew that he needed grace so deeply and so dearly? And, and, and because he knew that, he was the perfect rock upon whom God would build his church. When we know the pain, we know God's grace. When we know God's grace, we know what we have in Christ. And when we know what we have in Christ, y'all, we have life on a solid rock. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, um, I want us, we, we want to just quiet our hearts and silence our minds before you. Jesus, this is really simple what we see here today, but it's really hard. And Jesus, I just, uh, I pray we offer our hearts and minds to you, Lord. I, I pray that if there's a way that you're trying to bend us and break us and we're resisting, that you'd, you'd soften our hearts to know that you, you might be doing something else here. And there might be more possibility and potential in our pain than just getting through it. Lord, I, I pray that if we've never opened ourselves up to your view and your ability to change a life through bringing it low, I pray that you do that. Lord, I pray that you'd bring us low as we need to know that bottom so we can see your top, so that we can become the people who you've called us to be. And Lord, I just, I pray um, that, that all of us would have a vision for your goodness and your grace and the way that, that all this leans towards um, 
us being made new in the image of your son, us being a part of your work in the world, us being made good. And I I just pray that over every heart and mind here this morning. Would you break us to make us? Would you help us to see your love and your mercy and your outstretched hand? Lord, we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.